0: Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. and Matthew chapter 24, we're going to begin in verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Verse 2. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Then in verse 3. As they sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? If you have an ink pen or a pencil, either underline or circle the word when. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? Either underline or circle the word what. Then if you would separately, underline or circle the word sign. And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world either underline or circle the word end and the word world. So when you come to verse 3, you find there are five very important words. First of all, the disciples said, when shall these things be? Secondly, what shall be the sign of thy coming? And then they say, and of the end of the world. And notice the Bible says they came to him privately, privately, privately. So finally, when they have separated from the multitudes and they are with no one but Jesus himself, they begin to ask Jesus questions that they cannot ask in the presence of others, and Jesus begins to directly answer them. And they specifically say, when shall these things be? The word when in Greek is the word pote. It's spelled P-O-T-E. It's very precise. Tell us exactly when. We don't want a blurry or a fuzzy answer. We want to know pote, exactly when... Shall these things be and what? I ask you to circle the word what because in Greek it is the little word T. The little word T describes the most minute, minuscule detail, which means they were in fact saying, Lord, we don't want to have general information, T. We want you to tell us minutely down to the most precise information exactly what will be the sign of thy coming. And the word sign that is used here is the Greek word semian. And the word semian was the very word which was used to describe signs which were posted along the road to tell you where you were going in a journey. For example, Denise and I live outside the city of Moscow. And every day as we travel into the city of Moscow, there are signs along the road to tell us where we are and how much further we have to go. If there were no signs, we wouldn't know where we were in our journey. But because there are signs, we know where we are. We know how much further we have to go. Suddenly there's another sign which tells us how much distance we've traveled and how much further we have to go. And finally, when we cross Emkod, which is the big circle road that goes around Moscow, there's a big, big sign which says Moscow. And when you see that sign, you know you're no longer journeying toward Moscow, but now you've entered into the territory of Moscow, signs. And this is the word which the disciples now use in this verse, which means they were in reality saying, Lord, what will be the signs we'll see along the prophetic road to tell us where we are in the journey, how far we've come, how much further we have to go, what will be the signs we'll see. But notice in the King James Version, they just ask for one sign. But yet, when you read Matthew chapter 24, Jesus enumerates a long list of signs. And they particularly say, what will be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? The word end is the Greek word, soon to lay It does not describe absolute finality, but just the wrap up of one present thing. And the word world is a bad translation because the world will never pass away. Rather, it is the Greek word ionos. A better translation will be, what is the sign to tell us we've come to the end of this present age? And then, beginning in verse 4, Jesus begins to answer them. And notice in verse 4 how Jesus begins. And most people just skip right over verse 4 and don't understand the significance of it. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed, that no man deceive you. However, when most people think about the signs that Jesus enumerated in this chapter, most people jump right down to verse 6 and verse 7 where Jesus said, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, say that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation. A better translation will be ethnic group against ethnic group and kingdom against kingdom. A better translation will be one ideology against another ideology. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. But the first sign that Jesus gave is listed in verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed. The word take heed in Greek is the word blepete, it's the direct form of the word blepo, which means take heed, look. Listen, he's speaking this in such strong terms that it's nearly like he's trying to reach out to grab them by the shirt and shake them up and to get their attention. Take heed, hear me, understand what I'm telling you, that no man deceive you. And the word deceive, which is used in this verse, is the Greek word planeo, The word planeo means to lead astray, and it describes one who errs from a path that he has regularly walked upon. And in fact, it is the picture of a person who's walked upon a well-worn path. He's walked upon it. He's habitually walked upon it. It's the way he has always lived, but now for some reason he has veered from that path and he has taken another route. He's veering or he is beginning to wander. And in fact... This word, planel, here translated deceive, is the very word Paul uses in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, where it is translated as the word delusion. And in fact, Jesus in this verse was actually teaching, look and listen. If you want to know what will be the sign that you've come to the end of the age, here it is. Delusional spirits will be released in the earth when you've come to the very end of the age. And my friends, we are living in the day of delusion. We're living in the day of delusion. And what is really interesting is the intertestamental prophets and rabbis who really focused on the end times prophesied that at the very end of the age before the coming of the Messiah, there would be a release of spirits into the earth which would cause people to believe delusionary things. And this was the first sign which Jesus gave. Now I want you to turn in your Bibles over to First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4. And when you come to First Timothy chapter 4, Paul also begins to describe the end of the age. And it's very interesting. In Scripture, every time you have a text about the end of the age, it is a parallel text that describes the coming of Jesus right alongside with a period of delusion or a period of deception. So now we come to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul writes, Now the Spirit speaks expressly. Here we have the Greek word retus. It's from the word rhema. Now the Spirit speaks expressly, concretely, emphatically, categorically, beyond a shadow of a doubt, which means what the Holy Spirit is saying in this verse is not something optional. He's describing something expressly, something emphatically that is going to take place. And then he adds that in the latter times, the word latter is a form of the Greek word, "husteros," which describes the very, very end of a thing. He says, some shall depart from... The faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. But notice it says some shall depart. It does not say some shall reject the faith. It doesn't say that. It says they will do what? Depart from the faith, and it is the Greek word ephistome, from the word apo, which means away from. But it carries the idea of putting distance between yourself and something else the word stamey, which means to step or to stand, and here the Holy Spirit emphatically, categorically states, such a strange event is going to happen at the very, very end of the age. People will begin to put distance between themselves and what they once believed. They'll begin to step away from the solid, concrete teaching of Scripture, slowly, methodically, being in transition as they take one little step and another little step and another little step and another little step, step, moving away from what they once wholeheartedly embraced and believed. And this agrees what Jesus just said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, a day when people will begin to err from a path. And what is really interesting is that word err or the word deception which describes one that has left a solid path to take another dangerous route is really the word which describes a moral wandering, a moral wandering. And the Bible is literally prophesying at the end of the age, people will begin to question their morals. They will begin to question sexuality And regardless of what science says or what reason says, they'll begin to distance themselves from what they once believed. And the verse here says, because they're giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The word seducing, again, the Greek word planeo, spirits which cause someone to be lured off track. And then it says doctrines of Devils. The word doctrines is the Greek word didaskalia. The word didaskalia here translated as the word doctrines just does, does not just describe doctrine, but it is well. Packaged information. So now we find at the very end of the age, the devil is not going to come with a pitchfork in his hand and horns on his head, but he's going to come in the name of science. He's going to come in the name of Hollywood and entertainment. He's going to speak through the courts and present well packaged information that is so seductive it will cause people to leave reason and veer into unimaginable moral conclusions. And notice it says, doctrines of devils, the word devils, the Greek word daimonion, which is the word for demons or devils, but the early world believed. This word described spirits, which caused delusion and insanity, which means if you embrace this well-packaged, devil-concocted information, it will cause you to come to lanatical conclusions. Now turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 18. And when you come to Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 18 to the end of the chapter, the Apostle Paul describes society, and particularly the wrap-up of society at the end of the age. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who what? Hold, everybody say hold. Hold. Hold the truth in unrighteousness. That word hold would be better translated to suppress. It isn't that they don't know the truth. It's describing the people who has known the truth. They have heard the truth. They no longer like the truth. And therefore, they decide they're going to cancel the truth. They're going to put a lid on it. They're going to suppress it. They're going to restrain it. So it's not that they're ignorant. They're just trying to bury the truth because if they live in the light of the truth, then they will be accountable for it. And because they don't want like truth says, they decide to put a lid on it or to suppress or to restrain the truth. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it unto them. Verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power in Godhood. So they are what? Without excuse, verse 21, because that when they knew God. And this particular word new does not describe people that are born again, but rather a society which in general has a fear of God or a general knowledge of God. And now Paul says at the end of the age... Even though they have a general knowledge of God, they will cease to glorify him as God. Neither will become thankful, but vain in their imaginations. The word vain is the Greek word matthios. The word matthios here translated vain describes something that is completely, completely wasted. The word imaginations is a form of the Greek word logismos. It's where you get logical thinking. Their logic is going to become flawed, Their logic is going to become wasted or vain, and their foolish heart was darkened. Well, let me ask you, what does the heart do? The heart pumps. The heart pumps and pumps and pumps and pumps. And what does the heart pump? The heart pumps blood. How much of your body has blood in it? Every part of your body has blood in it because the heart is pumping and pumping and pumping and pumping blood throughout your system. But now the Holy Spirit says, you'll know when you've come to the very end of the age because the heart of society will begin to pump darkness. And just like the human heart pumps blood, the heart of society will pump darkness and darkness and darkness and darkness until darkness proliferates throughout society. And the following verse says, professing themselves to be wise. The word professing would be better translated asserting or alleging. Alleging themselves to be wise. The word wise is a form of the Greek word sophos. It describes those who believe they are cut above the rest of society. They claim to be the Progressive leaders of a new wave, a new kind of thinking. They're asserting themselves as being mentally more brilliant than anyone else. We're going to cause the world to move into a new direction. But Paul says the reality is they became fools And the word fools in the Greek text is the word moreno. It is where we get the word morons, which means a literal translation is, while they asserted themselves to be on the edge of a new kind of thinking, brilliant, and a cut above everybody else, the truth is they became morons in the way that they think. That is a literal translation. (laughs) Then he says in verse 23, and changed. The word changed will be better translated to exchange. They exchanged the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Well, if I were you, I would just put a star in the margin of your Bible next to that verse because that is one of the most genius verses in the entire New Testament. And in verse 23, the apostle Paul in one succinct statement describes the history of idolatry in reverse. For example, if you look at the end of the verse, it talks about creeping things. Well, if you study the history of idolatry, what did they first worship? They worshiped beetles. They worshiped snakes, creeping things. Then as time went by, they began to worship four-footed beasts like cats and cows. By the time that you get to the Roman Empire, they were worshiping birds. That's why there was an eagle as part of the insignia of the Roman Empire. They were worshiping birds. And here we find that man's thinking is beginning to ascend. He begins by worshiping creeping things. Then he ascends to four-footed beasts. Now his mind begins to ascend a little higher. He's worshiping birds. And finally, at the end of the age, Paul says man will be the center of his own worship. Man will worship man. And this is the day that we live in today. So when you come to verse 24, Paul writes, Wherefore, God also gave them up. And people who have a problem with God take this verse, and they say, God just gave up on them. But you have to understand what the Greek says. A better translation would be, Wherefore, God released them. Everybody say, Release. And here's what you find about God, God will let you worship anything you want to worship. And if you're bound and determined to trade him in to worship man, God will release you. And this verse would better be translated, wherefore God released them. You want that? Go get it. God released them to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts And the word uncleanness that is used here is a particular word which always refers to sexual uncleanness. And notice the result, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. The word dishonor would be better translated to displace their bodies or to put bodies where bodies do not naturally belong. It's a wrong combination of bodies. It's also a dishonoring And my friends, I just want to tell you, we are in the day of dishonoring the human body. I don't mean to step on toes, but we're living in the day when it's fine to do anything to your body that you want to do. You can pierce it, you can nail it, you can tattoo it, and now it has gone so far that doctors in operating rooms are mutilating the bodies of young people we are living in the day of dishonor. And the Apostle Paul said, this will be one of the signs that society is coming to the end of the age. It is a delusionary time, according to Jesus and according to Paul's teaching and. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. But then he continues who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the what? The creature rather than the creator who is blessed. Forever, taking our eyes off of God, we look at ourself. And when you become the center of your own universe, then you step into the position of God and you can make yourself to be whatever you want it to be, even if it defies nature. Verse 26. For this cause, God gave them up. A better translation, God released them. He released them. And vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. then in the next verse he describes what was that recompense even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. This is not a people that did not know the truth. They knew the truth. They decided they no longer wanted to believe the truth. They had walked upon one solid path, but now something has seduced them in another direction. They have distanced themselves from truth. And they say, we don't want that anymore. We're not going that way. We've already been that way. Now we're being led by the uppercut of society, progressive thinkers that are leading us in a new direction. So God gave them over. A better translation, God released them to a reprobate mind. What does the word reprobate mean? Well, when I was a kid, we used that word to describe everybody we didn't like. (laughs) Ah, he's just a reprobate. We didn't even know what it meant. So what does the word reprobate mean? The word reprobate, the Greek word adikimos. The word dokimos describes something that is wonderful, something that is fit, something that is marvelous. But if you put an A on the front, it's adokimos. The word reprobate describes a person who was created with a wonderful mind. God gave them a brilliant gift, but because their mind has been inundated with wrong information again and again and again and again and again. That mind which was brilliantly made now becomes ill effected, or you could call reprobate really a mental modified condition so you really don't believe what you used to believe. Your mind has been modified to think something different. This is why we're told in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, at the end of the age, men will call darkness light. And they will call light darkness. How could that be? Because they've been so mentally modified that they no longer know what is light and what is darkness. They call good bad and bad good. This is the process of mental modification, which the Bible translates as the word reprobate. And fortunately, we're living in a day, and this is why you need to really pay attention to what Pastor George preached last Sunday. When those who think they are the uppercut of society, those who assert that they are the leaders of a new kind of progressive thinking, are targeting our children as young as the age three to make them question what kind of of gender they were born with, trying to modify their thinking and modify their thinking and modify their thinking. And today, if you send a child to college, and I'm not against education, I think it's clear by my teaching that I believe in education. But today, the universities and the colleges are filled with teachers and policies that are trying to manipulate and change the way that our people think. It's the age of reprobate. It's the age of reprobate until now. People are living in such a state of denial about reality. We're living in such an age of rebellion and lawlessness that now we have reached the time when people are rebelling against their gender. They're rebelling against their gender. But the apostle Paul said all of this would also occur at the end of the age. So Jesus said, watch, pay attention, beware, planeo. A moral wandering will infiltrate the entire planet at the end of the age. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Holy Spirit says explicitly, categorically, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is going to happen. Some are going to begin to wander from a well-worn path into a path that is dangerous. And in fact, that word planeo could also be used to describe a person that's walking right on the edge of a dangerous cliff. He's tottering on the edge of danger. And that word planeo, translated as the word deception, was used by farmers to describe an animal that got so far off track, it could never find its way back home. And that's the word the Holy Spirit uses to describe society at the end of the age. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm going to encourage you in just a minute. <laughs> Go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul writes, Let no man, there it is again, what is it? Deceive you. When you come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, verse 3 is a summation. It's a summation of everything that's going to happen at the end of the age. Then when you get to verse 6, he begins to describe what is stopping the advancement of evil. Look, if you would, at verse 3. Let no man deceive you, for that day, what day? That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. The word falling away, the Greek word apostasy, it's where you get the word apostasy, but it is the very word used all over the Septuagint to describe a mutinous attitude. And here the apostle Paul is prophesying at the end of the age, there will be a mutinous attitude against God and against the word of God and against the law of God. He said, this will come at the end of the age. And then at the end of that period, the man of sin Will be revealed. Well, if you're reading the King James Version, it says man of sin. If you're reading the Greek text, it's the word anomia. The word nomos is the Greek word for law. If you put the word A on the front, it's anomia. It's the one that has cast off all shackles. He has cast off all moral restraints. He has cast off the law of God. We're not going that way anymore. And here we find at the end of the age, when the world develops a mutinous attitude, the world itself will produce a man... Of their own making. And this will be the Antichrist. And the verse goes on to say, He will be revealed in His time. But look at verse 6. And now you know what withholds. The word withhold, the Greek word kateko, a better translation would be, Now you know what is stalling all of this. Now you know what is putting on the brakes that He might be revealed in His time. For the mystery of iniquity, a better translation would be the mystery of lawlessness is already working. Only he who now restrains, he who lets, he's putting on the brakes. That one will continue to put on the brakes until, until what? he be taken out of the way. And the Greek text says, until he suddenly instantaneously is removed from the midst of everything. And then that wicked one, shall be revealed. So according to verse 6 and verse 7 and verse 8, there's some force in the earth today that is stopping the advancement of evil. What is that force? It's us. That's us. What would happen in the world today if suddenly all of us were evacuated? There would be nothing more to stall, to postpone, to put on the brakes, if we were suddenly removed from the midst of everything, this verse says, then in that precise moment, the wicked one would be revealed, which means the moment the church is evacuated, the curtains are going to part and a man is going to be standing on the screen stage that the world has been waiting for, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. But as long as we're here, We have the power to hold things back. Now, I don't know that we as the church always do everything that we ought to do and that we always do things right. But even when we do things wrong, the fact is God is in the church. And as long as the church is in the world, even if we're clay vessels and we don't do everything right, we have within us everything we need to hold back the iniquity and the evil that is waiting to come center stage. And it cannot be revealed until the church has been removed. Now, if you would, go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes, this know also. Here we go again. And here the word this is very emphatic, the Greek word "tauto" this, emphatically this know. The word know, the Greek word genoskete, you've got to know this. It's like he's grabbing us to get our attention. And please remember that God is never in the business of scaring people, but he's always in the business of preparing people. All of these verses are written for our preparation. He says, this know also, you have to understand this, that. The word that, the Greek word hodi, it's what I call a pointer word. It's pointing to a conclusion that is very important, that in the last days, and the word last, is the Greek word eschatos. It's where you get the term eschatology, which is the study of end times. But eschatos was a very specific word which always describe the very, very, very end of a thing. For example, this word last, the word eschatos, would describe the last day of the week, just the last day. It could describe the last day of the month, just the last day. It could describe the last month of the year. It always describes what is at the very, very end, and therefore it was used at the time of the New Testament to describe the very, very ends of the earth, and it was also used in a navigational sense to describe a ship that has sailed to the last port. There's not another port after this one. If you've come to this port, you've come to the end of the journey. So Paul is literally saying, know this. When time has sailed to the last port, when there's no more time left for the journey, when you come to the very, very end of days, perilous times shall come. The word perilous is the Greek word kalopos, a word that is only used two times in the New Testament. It's used here. Hold your finger here and turn to Matthew chapter 8. And when you come to Matthew chapter 8, you find the only other use of this word in the New Testament. So it's important that you see that so you know what this word perilous really means. And when you come to Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, the Bible says, and when Jesus was come to the other side of the country, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs. And what's the next two words? Exceeding fierce. Everybody say exceeding fierce. That's the word kalopos. It describes something so dangerous that it should be avoided at all costs. Something so treacherous, if you get near it, there's a possibility of great personal injury. And in fact, these men were so exceedingly fierce that no man might pass by that way. Well, pastors George and Terry were just in Israel. They can tell you, others who have been to Israel can tell you, that around the Sea of Galilee, there was a highway. It went all the way around the Sea of Galilee. And if you were in the north of Galilee and you wanted to go to the south, but you were traveling on the east side, you had to pass by this area where these two demon-possessed men were, whom the Bible says were exceedingly fierce. They posed a risk. They posed a threat. It was a high-risk event to be near these two men. And in fact, when people would try to pass on that road to the south of Galilee, these demon-possessed men would come charging out of the tombs and charging out of the cliffs, and they were so hazardous that people were afraid to take that route. And so it formed an impasse. Everybody say impasse. It formed an impasse. And the people said, we're blocked. We don't know how to get around this. That's the word perilous. So now when you take that back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, the Holy Spirit says, this know also emphatically know this. You have to understand this that when time has sailed to its last port and not much time is left for the journey, society as a whole will feel it has entered a period of danger and damage and impasse, and people will not know how to get around what they're facing in society. And then the Holy Spirit explicitly adds, shall come. Shall come in Greek is in histomy. The word in means to be in the middle of something. The word histomy describe something that's standing all around you. So the words shall come really describe a person in the middle of something, and it doesn't matter where they turn. They are surrounded or they're encumbered by it everywhere they look. And here the Holy Spirit is describing at the very end of society, people will feel they've hit a society in impasse in the world and everywhere they turn it's crazy here it's crazy there it's crazy here have you ever seen anything like this everywhere we look it's like we're living in the age of crazy and the holy spirit says when you feel those things welcome to the end of the age so let me ask you you think we might be living at the end of the age but then when you come to verse 14 we receive a solution second timothy chapter 3 well let's begin in the verse right before that second timothy chapter 3 are you with me well i'm not there yet so you got to wait on me second timothy chapter 3 verse 13 again paul's describing the end of days he said evil men and seducers shall do what wax worse and worse. It is the Greek word prokopto, the word which was used to describe the advancement of gangrene or the advancement of cancer. Like cancer or gangrene, all this delusional teaching is going to try to work its way throughout the fabric of society. And then Paul says in verse 14, but continue thou. Everybody say continue. The word continue is a translation of the Greek word meno, the word minnow means stay in your place, refuse to budge, refuse to flinch. It is the same word which means to maintain the territory that you have gained, which means even if it seems the world around us is losing their mind, we need to keep our brains in our heads and continue in the things we've been assured of and learned, knowing of whom we have learned them, and that from a child you have known the what? Holy Scriptures. Holy Scriptures. And here Paul elevates the scriptures because the word scriptures that is used here is a Greek word which does not just describe an entire verse, but every little mark, every little jot, every little tittle, it's as though Paul says every little mark, every little period, every little comma in the Bible is holy, it is sacred. And if you continue in it and embrace it, he says it is able, the Greek word dunatos. It will make you fully able, fully capable to be wise. And the word wise here, again, the Greek word sophos, which means... If you want to be smart, stick with the Bible because the Bible will give you common sense. It is the Bible which will fill your mind with enlightenment. And according to Hebrews chapter 5, when you are exercised by the Bible, you're able to discern what is right and what is wrong, and you don't have to delay long to think about it because you know because the Word is working in you. And this is why the devil's been after the Bible in our churches. Many, many churches today don't hear verse-by-verse teaching of the Bible, and that's why people are confused. There's a lot of inspirational teaching, and there's a role for that. But verse-by-verse teaching of the Bible means you've got to deal with every question in the Scripture. And when you deal with every question in the Scripture, it just sobers you up so you think wisely, just as this verse says. And the following verse says, For all Scripture... Is given by what? Inspiration Inspiration of God. This word inspiration, the Greek word theopneustos. Theo comes from theos, it's where you get the word theology, it's the Greek word for God. The second part of the word, pneustos, comes from the word pneu. The word pneu had three primary meanings, and all three of them are correct in this verse. Number 1 the second part of the word inspiration the greek word pneu, was the word which was used to describe creative power creative power it's used just like that in genesis chapter 1 verse 1 when the spirit of god moved upon the deep that's the word pneu. when he came and he released creative power to take to make order out of darkness Secondly, that word panu was the Greek word used to describe the sounds of music. If you put a flute to your mouth and begin to blow into the flute and use your fingers, your breath could create beautiful music. Number three, this word panu, the second part of the word inspiration, was the very word used by the Greeks and the Romans to describe perfume or a fragrance. So if you wanted to go into a store to buy a new fragrance or a new perfume, you would have gone in to say, I'd like to buy some Pneu. That means I want a perfume or I want a fragrance. So first of all, it describes creative power. Secondly, it describes music. Thirdly, it describes fragrance. Paul says all scripture is God breathed. Now you have to remember in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he's talking about a world gone crazy, people that are broken, people that are messed up. Now he comes to the very end, and he tells what is the answer for a messed up society? He says, number one, the scripture is God breathed. There is creative power in the Word of God, and the Word of God is especially gifted to make order out of darkness. And if you've got darkness in your life, if you'll embrace the word of God and let it work in you, it will bring order into your life again. Then he says, number two, the word "panu," which is the word for music. If you don't like the sounds in your house, then bring the word of God into your house because if you'll take the top off of the word of God and release it, it will bring the sounds of heaven into your home. It can change the music in your life. Number three. If you don't like the stink that's going on in your family or your finances or your friendships, bring the Word of God into it because the Word of God is God-breathed. If you'll release it, it will bring a new smell into your life. Well, we're living in a world today that is living in darkness, a world that is totally messed up, playing really bad music. People's souls are depressed. People are living in stinky situations. But the Word of God has everything we knew need to create something new and better. It can bring the music of heaven into any situation. It can bring a new smell into your marriage, a new smell into your life. And then he goes on to say, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for what? Correction. Correction. That word correction is a specific term which describes a person that has been knocked flat by life. Do you know anybody that's been knocked flat by life? But the word correction means to take the person that's been knocked flat and to pick them back up and put them on their feet again, which means the word of God, if believed and embraced, it doesn't matter what's happened to you or how messed up you've become, it has the power to pick you up and put you on your feet again. And then he adds in verse 17 that the man of God may be what? Perfect and thoroughly furnished. Everybody say thoroughly furnished. (laughs) Thoroughly furnished was the old Greek word only used one way. I like these words because they can only have one meaning. Back in the ancient world, there were boats. There was a simple boat. In fact, if you went to the Sea of Galilee, everybody had the same boat because that boat company had a monopoly on the Sea of Galilee. There was just one kind of boat. It was just a simple boat, but it couldn't go very far just as a boat. With no oar, no sail, it couldn't go very far, and it always headed back to the shore. It could not survive rough weather and it wasn't designed for long-term sailing but you could take the very same boat and here it is thoroughly furnish it you could give it a motor you could give it oars you could give it a sail you could give it everything that it needs and now that same simple boat is transformed with all the gear that it needs for long distance sailing to make it through the most turbulent of weather, to go through every part of the raging sea all the way to the end because it has been thoroughly furnished. And now Paul really tells us there's two kinds of Christians. There's the unequipped and there's the equipped. You might say we're all boats, but there are some believers due to their lack of obedience to the word of God are not equipped for long-distance sailing. They can't make it through rough times. But when you take the Word of God into your life, it is so powerful, it gives you a rudder. It gives you oars. It gives you a sail. And you have everything you need to sail all the way to the other side. And actually, when you come to 2 Timothy chapter 3, this entire chapter is so brilliant. Because in verse 1, Paul begins with a nautical term when you've sailed to the last port and no more time remains for the journey. You've sailed as far as you can sail. You're going to enter into rough weather and rough seas. Then he comes to the end of the chapter and he says, but here's the good news. God has given you everything you need to be equipped to make it through the darkest and the most serious of times. And not just to make it. You'll make it all the way to the other side because the word of God will thoroughly furnish you for everything you need. That's amazing to me. Today, we're starting the Victory Thon. Please participate. The Spirit of God spoke to Brother Culpin, told him to take this message on every available voice. And my friends, every place does not have available to them what you have available to you in this church. And that voice is very, very important. People are sitting at home confused. They're attending often churches where they're not hearing the Bible taught or where pastors are afraid to take a stand. You sure don't have that problem in this church. You don't have that problem here. But there are believers that are teetering. They don't know what to believe because they haven't been taught the Bible. And through the victory channel, we can pierce into every one of their places and bring a ray of light that brings the power of God, the creative power of God, the music of heaven into their dark spaces. It brings a new fragrance into their lives and their marriages and their kids. And before I finish, and I'm going to finish right now, I'd like to say one more word as a word of encouragement. If you have a child or if you have a grandchild and you've been confronted by the fact that you've raised your child and your grandchildren to believe one thing, and they're breaking your heart because they're now going a different direction, a fist to me, that word depart, they didn't reject the faith, but through their friends, through college, through their surroundings, they're being modified. They're changing the way they think. They're stepping away from how you raise them. The worst thing you can do is cave for your kids. And many parents... Because they don't want to lose their relationship with their kids. They're caving. And they also are backing away from what they know to be true because they don't want to live in conflict with their kids. And here's the problem if you cave when your kids get in trouble and they need to come back to you, you won't be there for them. You need to stand strong. We see the God who changes not. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're not the ones changing. It's the world around us that has changed. And we got to keep our head renewed to truth. And if your kids have strayed, we all believe the scripture that if you train up a child in the way he shall go, he will not depart from it. And a day will come when he's going to come knocking on your door if you're there. If you're there so you stick with the Word of God. This is the answer. It is the answer for our troubled times. I want you to put your hand on your heart, and I want to pray for you. Pastor George, I'll give this to you. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the Word of God that is so amazing. Father, we ask you to help us to stay on track to live by the word of God, to declare the word of God. We pray for children and grandchildren that have gone another direction. And Holy Spirit, we call on your word that they will not depart from what has been placed in them. And we call that seed placed in them to bring forth a harvest as they come back. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.